Chapter 23 of The City of Fire by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 23 High in the tree over Billy's head, a little chipmunk whisked with a nut in his mouth. He selected a comfortable rocking branch, unfurled his tail for a windshield at his back, and sat up to his supper table, as it were, with the nut in his two hands. Something unusual caught his attention as he was about to attack the nutshell, and he cocked his little striped head around, up and down, and took in Billy. Then a squirrel's smile overspread his furry face, and a twinkle seemed to come in his eye. With the wink down toward Billy, he went to work. Crack! 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 The shell was open. Crack! And a large section fell, whirling, spinning down, straight down. The squirrel paused in his nibbling and cocked an eye again with that mischievous twinkle as if he enjoyed the joke, watching the light bit of shell in its swift descent plump on the end of Billy's nose. It couldn't have hit straighter if Chippy had been pitcher for the Sabbath Valley baseball team. Billy opened his eyes with a start and a scowl, and there before him, glaring like a wild beast, thick lips agap showing gnarled yellow teeth, wicked eyes, red glittering and murderous, was Pat, ugly, formidable, and threatening. "'Come out of there, you little varmint, you!' roared Pat. "'Come out and I'll skin the nasty yellow hide off on you. "'I got you good and hard now right where I want you, and ye won't—' "'Bang! Click! Bang!' Billy had been lying among the thick undergrowth, flat on his back, his left arm flung above his head, but his right arm was thrust out from his body under a thick clump of laurel, and his right hand held the gun ready for any emergency when he had inadvertently went to sleep.' The gun was pointed down the valley along the ground, and his fingers wrapped knowingly, lovingly, around the weapon. He had so long wanted to own one of his own. That gun was not included in the blood money and was not to be returned. It was a prerequisite of war. Billy was all there always, and even awakening suddenly from much-needed sleep, he was on the job. One glance at Pat's devilish face and his fingers automatically pulled the trigger. The report roared out along the valley like a volley from a regiment. Billy hardly felt the rebound of the weapon before he realized that Patrick was no more between his vision and the sun's last rays. Patrick was lenging it down the valley with all the strength he had left and taking no time to look back. Billy had presence of mind to let off another volley before he rose to investigate, but there was nothing left of Pat but a ruffled path in the undergrowth and a waving branch or two he had turned aside in his going. So that was that. Doggone it, why did he have to go to sleep? If he had only been ready, he could have managed this affair so much better for his own ends. He wanted a heart-to-heart -heart talk with Pat while he had him good and frightened, and now it was too late. He must get back to the other job. He shinned up a tree and observed the broad shoulders of Pat wallowing up the bank over by the railroad. He was going back to the station. It was as well. He might see him again tomorrow, perhaps. For Pat, he must have his evidence. And besides, Pat might read the note and conclude to come back and answer it. Billy parted the bushes to see if Pat had taken the money and note with him, and lo, here was the rude mountain telephone box wide open with a bunch of keys in the lock, just as Pat must have left it when he discovered the paper and money, or perhaps Pat had been going to report to Sam what had happened. Who knew? You see, Billy knew nothing of his little red and brown striped partner up in the tree, who had dropped a nut to warn him of danger, and did not realize that Chippy had also startled Pat, and set him looking among the bushes for the sources of the sound. But Billy knew how to take advantage of a situation if he didn't know what made it, and in a trice he was down on his knees with the crude receiver in his hands. 
It was too late to ride down to the Blue Duck and telephone, but here was a telephone come to him, and now was a chance to try if it was a telephone at all, or only a private wire run secretly. He waited breathless with the long hum of wires in his ears, and then a quick click and, "'Number, please!' Billy could hardly command his voice, but he murmured, "'Economy 13!' in a low growl, his hard young hands shaking with excitement. "'Your letter, please!' Billy looked wildly through the rough box, but could see no sign of a number. "'Why, it's the station, don't you know? What's the matter with you?' His spirits are rising. "'Jay,' stated the operator patiently. "'Well, Jay, then,' said Billy. "'What do I care? Just a minute, please!' And suddenly the chief's voice boomed out reassuringly. Billy cast a furtive eye back of him in the dusk and fell to his business with relief. "'Say, chief, that you? This is Bill. Say, chief, I want your help right away, pretty quick.' Got a line on those guys. You bring three men and get down on the Lone Valley Road below Stark Mountain and keep your eye peeled toward the Hanted House. Savvy? Yes, old Hanted House, you know. You wait there till I signal. Yes, flash. Listen, one wink if you go to the right, two come up straight, and three to the left. If it's only one repeated several times, you spread all around. Yep, I'm going up there right now. No, chief, I wouldn't call you if I didn't think t'was pretty sure— Yep, I think they'll come out as soon as it gets real dark. Yep, I think they've been there all day. I ain't sure, but I think. You won't fail me, will you, Chief? No, sure. I'll stick by. Be sure to bring three men. There's two of them. I ain't rightly sure, but three. I just stirred another up. What say? No, I'm lone. Oh, I'm all right. Sure. I'll be careful. What say? Where? Oh, I'm at a hole in the ground. Yes, down below Pleasant Valley Station. Some telephone. I'll show it to you tomorrow. So long, Chief. I gotta go. It's getting dark. Goodbye. Billy gave hurried glances about and rustled under the branches like a snake over to where old Trusty lay. In ten minutes more he was worming his way up the side of Stark Mountain while Pat was fortifying himself well within the little station, behind tables and desks for the night, and scanning the valley from the dusty window panes. Billy parked his wheel in its usual place and continued up the hill to the opening at the back, then stood long, listening. Once he thought he heard something drop inside the kitchen door, but no sound followed it and he concluded it had been a rat. Halfway between himself and the back door, something gleamed faintly in the starlight. He didn't remember to have seen anything there before. He stole cautiously over, moving so slowly that he could not even hear himself. He paused beside the gleam and examined— it was an empty flask, still redolent. Um, booze. Billy wasn't surprised. Of course they would try to get something to while away their seclusion until they dared venture forth with their booty. He continued his cautious passage toward the house and then began to encircle it, keeping close to the wall and feeling his way along, for the moon would be late and small that night and he must work entirely by starlight. It was his intention after going around the house to enter and reconnoiter in his stocking feet. As he neared the front of the house, he dropped both hands to his sweater pockets, the revolver in his right hand with its two precious cartridges, the flashlight which he had taken care to renew in economy in his left hand, fingers ready to use either instantly. He turned the corner and stole on toward the front door, still noiseless as a mouse would go, his rubber sneakers touching like velvet in the grass. He was only two feet from the front stoop when he became aware of danger, something, a familiar scent, a breathlessness, and then a sudden stir. A dark thing ahead and the feeling of something coming behind. Billy, as if a football signal had been given, grew calm and alert. 
Instantly, both arms flashed up and down the mountain shot two long yellow winks of light, and simultaneously two sharp reports of a gun, followed almost instantly by another shot, more sinister in sound, and Billy's right arm dropped limply by his side while a sick wave of pain passed over him. But he could not stop for that. He remembered the day when Mark had been coaching the football team and had told them that they must not stop for anything when they were in action. If they thought their legs were broken, or they were mortally wounded and dying, they must not even think of it. Football was the one thing, and they were to forget they were dead and go ahead with every whiff of punch there was in them, blind or lame or dead even, because when they were playing, football was the only thing that counted. And if they were sick or wounded or bleeding, let the wound or sickness take care of itself. They were playing football. So Billy felt now. He hurled himself viciously at the dark shadow ahead, which he mentally registered as Link because he seemed long to tackle, and then kicked behind at the thing that came after, and struggled manfully with a throttling hand on his throat till a wad of vile cloth was forced into his mouth, and just as he had a half-Nelson on Shorty, too. If he could have got Shorty down and stood on him, he might have beaten off Link until Chief got there. Where was Chief? Where was the gun? Where was he? His head was swimming. Was it his head he had hit against the wall, or did he bang Shorty's? How it resounded! There were winding stairs in his head, and he seemed to be climbing them, up, 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 till he dropped in a heap on the floor, a hard floor, all dust, and the dust came into his nostrils. He was choking with that rag. Why couldn't he pull it out? What was cutting his wrists when he tried to raise his hand? And what was that queer pain in his shoulder? There were shouts outside. How did he get inside? Was that more shooting? Perhaps he had found his gun after all. Perhaps he was shooting the men before the chief got there, and that was bad, because he didn't feel competent to judge about a thing as serious as shooting with that dirty rag in his mouth. He must get rid of it somehow. Doggone it! He had somehow got his hands all tangled up in cords, and he must get them out, no matter if they did cut. He had to give the chief a signal. He struggled again with all his might, and something somewhere gave way. He wasn't sure what, but he seemed to be sinking down, perhaps downstairs or down the mountain, somehow so it was down where the chief, where Mark. The light in his brain went out and he lay as one dead in the great dusty front bedroom where a man who had sinned hanged himself once because he couldn't bear his conscience any longer. And outside in the front door yard five men struggled in the dark with curses and shots, and twice one almost escaped, for Link was desperate having a record behind him that would be enough for ten men to run away from. But after the two were bound and secured in the car down at the foot of the mountain, the chief lingered and, looking up, said in a low tone to one of his men, "'I wonder where that boy is.' "'Oh, he's all right,' said his assistant easily. "'He's off on another piece of business by this time, chief. He likes to seem mysterious. It's just his way. Say, chief, we got to get back if we want to meet that train down at Unity tonight.' That was true, too, and most important, so the chief, with a worried glance toward the dark mountain, turned his car and hurried his captives away. Now that they were where he could get a glance at them in the dim light of the car, he felt pretty sure they were a couple of birds he had been looking for for quite a while. If that was so, he must reward Billy somehow. That boy was a little wonder. He would make a detective some day. It wouldn't be a bad idea to take him on in a quiet sort of way and train him. He might be a great help. He mustn't forget this night's work. And what was that the kid had said about a secret underground wire? He must look into it as soon as this murder trial was off the docket. That murder trial worried him. He didn't like the turn things were taking. End of chapter 23